Cause I'm in the shit house Wish I played in a rock and roll band Somebody give me a dollar bill So I can pass out on the jukebox singing Honk, it's all women Welcome to Pod Gave Rock and Roll to you. This week we'll be talking about Train and Vane by The Clash. Jonathan, why did you decide to pick the song? Well, Jonathan, I decided to pick the song <laughs> because this song has always jumped out at me. I, I really like The Clash a lot. I have a ton of respect for them. But this tune, I think, just really it just upped the ante on how much I, I dig them because it's not a punk song. It's not of the vibe they're they're most famous for. But ironically, that actually shows kind of how punk they really were because they were like, look, we're going to do what the fuck we want to do. This is the vibe we like. We clearly like Motown and this kind of stuff. And just the fact that they showed that they were more than just a haircut or just a wardrobe or just like a sneer or just some bullshit behavior. Like they were like legitimately artistic. Beyond that, it's just the intro drum beat definitely grabs me every time and the chorus is great. And then... Man, you break it down and you look at the lyrics. The lyrics are outstanding. Top to bottom, you don't see many folks step out of their kind of their comfort zone and do something so well. I think it's very unique that, that way. I would argue that there's a lot of punk attitude in the song. It hits pretty hard. I mean, there's a drive there that's very punky. I mean, like, I think my, my reaction when I listen to the song I and mean, the things that stand out, the harmonica kind of adds that, like, kind of bluesy feel. And, if you, and on that note, I mean, if you listen to... The entire, I, I listened to London Calling for the first time in a long time this week. The whole album is probably my top ten list of, of all time. And you listen to Jimmy Jazz, like they're throwing in, they, they they maintain that punk attitude in all of these songs, and then throw in different, I don't know if you say genres or just different instruments to kind of play with what they're mm-hmm. doing. I mean, I think the punk attitude is is right there, but it's just more poppy, I would say. Well, There's it's more- like if you're coming from a non-punk place, clearly it has punk. But if you're coming from the punk scene. It's definitely ventures out more into like, like the Sex Pistols never did anything like that. I mean, they were just, or even the Ramones, like they never stepped out in anything except what they did. It's it's a pretty cool song. It's um, so full of pain. Mick Jones wrote it. It almost felt like he had to write this song to get that out of his system. Well, Strummer is also credited. He probably helped out. It doesn't ever mention Train in Vain. It's a really cool, like, obviously you'd want to call it Stand By Me, but they couldn't do that. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's already a song called that. And the harp, it almost sounds like a um, xylophone. What Neil actually meant here was an accordion. It's it's not like a a classic use of harp. You know? I don't know. I mean, I, I I felt like it was very bluesy and like very like greasy and kind of Chicago style. I I, mm-hmm. I, I thought like it drives like a blues, gives it an undertone of the sadness you were talking about, whereas in that kind of counteracts with like the, the bitterness and the defiance of like the punk sound, like the punk attitude that's going on with it. What do you guys, so it's kind of an interesting phenomenon. What do you think about songs that the lyrics and the, the where the lyrics and the music are kind of incongruous, like in the sense where like, because these lyrics are very sad and very, but then the drum beat is very upbeat and kind of like, Poppy, there, and I've noticed, and I've thought about that on a number of different occasions with a um, with uh, other songs. The effect that has is that something you've ever noticed? 
Well, the I, I will say I noticed it on this song because and I was just messing with with my girlfriend like because I was listening to it all week and I would just always do the little because it's very sassy like the beat is very like the way uh, it's very let me, Mick Jagger chicken let me get let me get a little, keep keep the sass uh, coming in. yeah it, well the picture Mick Jagger with his little chicken dance I wish know? the folks I wish the good people of the world could see the sass that's coming out of but you know the kind of beat that they're creating it, it's a very sass I think it's I think that's a very British thing is that like sass attitude like you get cheeky. It reminds me of uh, there was an SNL sketch sketch in the early '90s, late '80s. It was Mike Myers. He was like a, t- a talk show host, and he'd always be like, "That's sass." <laughs> There's the whole time somebody would say something, it's like sass. Anyone? It, it, the actual host of the sketch is Phil Hartman. And that attitude, whenever that that beat came out, it just makes you want to move in a way that's not particularly, you know, it's not a common dance. Right, get, right, right. Not a common beat that you're getting, but it's it's really. It's really poppy and it's fun. And like that interacts with what you're saying with the lyrics. It's not the same thing. I think it does create defiance. It definitely, it, it definitely, yeah, it definitely is, it puts a little like fuck you into it, right? Yeah, if I'm going off the, the notion, if you look at these lyrics, you know, you say stand by man, tell me something, don't understand. You say you love me. That's a lie. It, he, he, he's definitely telling someone to fuck off, but not, yeah. but like also missing them. So there, there's bitterness, there's defiance. And it's kind of like, it's almost like one of those like West Side Story things, you know? They're like almost snapping, like you're angry, but like now you're just gonna dance, which is just, you know, kind of ridiculous. I mean, that's silly. how we always solve. That's how we always solve problems in my family. Just <laughs> dancing out. To the sass too. It's like I like how his voice like quivers throughout the song. Like he's so just pissed and sad. And it's even when he's talking about he's got a job but it doesn't pay, he needs new clothes. He's just like nowhere to stay. Everything sucks. Well, and it's all because of you. Well, he wrote this song. <laughs> I guess he was dating someone in a girl punk band at the time. Albertine? Yeah, yeah, Albertine. And I guess they had broken up, and she said that he would take the train to her place, and she wouldn't let him in. So (laughs) that's why he made the song that. Oh, interesting. But he rarely admits that he wrote it about me, just because he's still defiant and, like, bitter about it. Right, nice. I'm not even going to give you the pleasure to think that. And this is their first hit. This was their first hit, and and it was not on the original sleeve, of London calling. Yeah. They threw it on as like a hidden song and it ended up being their first hit. Well and it was it was scratched into like the the vinyl record. Yeah. Like instead of because they they had already done the artwork. Yeah, I think it was gonna be for a, a, a you say Zine? Is it Zine? Zine, you know, they used to have those yeah. music magazines and they would come with the little oh, Zine. They wrote Zine. this song to be like featured in one of in NME, I think. And then they yeah the musical express through yeah. and then they yeah. also thought it was too good for that. So they thought Let's put it on Loving Call. It's almost like a uh, Dead Flowers 2.0, uh, the Rolling Stones song. It definitely has that same cheeky, upbeat, but kind of but sad, like like depressive lyrics. But like you said, when you juxtapose those lyrics with the upbeatness of just the vibe of the song, it kind of has that like, you broke my heart, but you can go fuck yourself kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. I'm gonna be defined. I'll I'll get by, you know. Alone, I keep the wolves at bay. <laughs> that line right there is one of my yeah. favorite lines of all <laughs> oh, time. Yeah, that, all that's, alone, that's I keep the wolves at bay. Good, right? And it stands out. Like every time I've listened to a song this week, that line stands out above anything else uh, lyrically mm-hmm. in the song. I that's think. a hell of a line. That's a really good. I mean, Dylan would have like seven of those in a song. <laughs> but like, if any, anyone has a line that good anywhere, like it's. Just when you put it all together, I just say I think they had to be somewhat kind of brave because even on that video, uh, that live, he's like, uh, "We're taking the Soul Train from Platform One, 
If you don't like it, you can leave. There's always the toilets. He's basically be like, if you don't like this kind of music, well, you can fuck off while we play it. Yeah, basically, which is which is awesome. And like, I love it, man. Like, it's yeah, yeah. because if you're not careful, punk turns into conformist too. Everyone's afraid to not be punk. Everyone's afraid to whatever. And so it's just the fact that like we're just gonna do whatever we want to do is like yeah. so and, genuine. I'm saying the punk attitude is there, and at the beginning he really is just kind of like fuck you. you, you you weren't there for me, you're a liar. But then kind of goes through the stages of of grief, you know, when he's getting down to I need somewhere to stay, but you know, but without all these things I can do without your love, I won't make it through. And then well, you know, but you don't understand my point of view. I guess there's not the resignation. I suppose there's nothing I can do. And that's it's very yeah. compact way to like sum up the end of a relationship and the feelings you have about it, especially if you're the person who did not want it to end, which it sounds I mean, like he's not. Those lyrics are almost dealing this way. That's pretty impressive. And diving into the song, I never knew that the Clash had two different vocalists. I never knew Mick sang a couple songs. We did uh, Should I Stare, Should I Go, and this one. I thought it was all strummer. Yeah, so lyrically, I think we... they sound the same. I mean, it's, yeah, it's I mean, tough it, to, like, but when you're punk, the punk singers don't, there's not much variation between ranges. You're pretty much just kind of right. Yeah, it's like pretty m- monotone usually. It's just kind of yeah, like. Yeah, it's, it's not. I mean, I can tell the difference between the Ramones and the Sex Pistols and, and the Clash, but that's just because I've heard them enough, not because, oh, that's definitely so and so's voice. You know, that's definitely Johnny Rotten's voice. Yeah, it's not, it's not, the emphasis obviously isn't on like voice or anything, it's just on like. But, raw self-expression. But like you said, the difference with the Clash is they're one of the punk bands. I mean, I, I don't know punk that well, but they're a punk band that got the basics down. They learned how to color within the lines, and then they started experimenting, and they were really good at it. And this song, a- again, like just from that beginning, boom, bam, boom, bam, bam, boom, bam, boom, bam, bam, and then the heart coming. It, it's that is just boom. You know, that's a really great way to come into a song, and you just yeah, you know, you're gonna have fun. With with the music, regardless of the of, of the lyric the lyrical message. Yeah, I love that uh, like the popping guitar sound, just almost like a muted kind of. Really but it's that drum beat, stellar man. It's yeah. just, I mean, it's so straight, it's so meat and potatoes, but it's just like it almost sounds like a Michael Jackson song's about to come on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it sounds like um, almost like a drum beat that came on like an old Casio keyboard from the 80s, like a pre-programmed. Well, this all was released in 1980, so I mean, this would be, but like the Michael Jackson you're talking about, I think, is from like bad Billie Jean mm-hmm. kind of era. I mean, he definitely had heard this this yeah. music. Definitely could have taken something from you know the classic. Well, what it is is it's just a super meat and potato straight ahead beat. Like it's it's just out front. Like it's. It's just standard rock beat, but the way they mix it and have it mic'd and everything, and just have it right out front, you rarely have that. Like where it's just, because there's nothing. It's not like Neil Peart or anything bad shit, but it just it sets the tempo. And like I said, then with that guitar coming in, and then with all the vocals and all. Uh, like I said, man, it's one of those tunes. I think the best songs, and I think this is true for a lot of things. They seem like they're just one solid piece of work, like one solid effort. There's not components like there's some songs i can hear and i can listen to it i can be like yeah i bet they wrote this part first and then they wrote this part and then they realized they needed a bridge so this kind of shellac that in there and but yeah. this song this is just like like i said like a, you see like a bentley or something and it looks like it i mean clearly it's not just one piece of metal but it looks like it's just one yeah. he, he did write this in one night exactly yeah and it has well, that feel you can kind of tell it has that feel that this was it's just like a, it's kind of a flash that came to him and he was just like i gotta put this down you know, well, musically, I'm sure there were some changes that were made later, and maybe a couple words changed here and there. But it... well, one thing that's really cool, man, that the way it jumps in on the "You Must Explain" 
um, why this must be, you must explain. And we had jumps in on that part. Yeah. It's so cool because it's like, like it, it, it really mimics, I feel like, the experience of, of being distraught about a relationship because you're trying to reason with it, trying, but then all of a sudden it's just like, you got to tell me why this is the case. Like, what in, the hell, what in the hell is going on? And then he's like trying to, then he kind of goes back to reasonable, and then he kind of comes back to just kind of a, a bit of an emotional like freak out. And it's, and it's more, yeah, almost the guitar is almost like a percussion instrument on it. Yeah, it starts out with that. Yeah, and then, but then there's uh, there's two guitars, I think. And then, because the, one's doing what, I think there's one going on with the harmonica, the bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. There's some, there's something holding that down in there too. The personnel in the song is Mick Jones was the vocal, guitar, harmonica, strummer on piano, Paul Seminen on bass, Topper Heaton on drums and percussion, and then Mick Gallagher on organ. I guess Mick may have played put two guitar tracks on there, but yeah, I mean they dub stuff. And when you see it like footage of them doing it live, it's just Mick and Joe both playing guitar. Where's the piano in? And probably on that. It's probably in there if you listen real close. I would say. And yeah, and on like the chorus, the change there. Yeah, this this is another song I think we talked about in the past where the, the production as well is phenomenal. Like everything is so compact. I mean, I can't even believe there's any instruments on it because, like I said, it just sounds like it's like percussion, harmonica, and like I actually thought that was an organ. The boom bam, boom bam, boom. I thought that was an organ. I didn't think it was guitar, but. Well, the, um, one thing I noticed is there's two vocal tracks. Like he's he doubles up. Oh, is he doubled? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're slightly different. You know, yeah, it's slightly. Not, it's not yeah. like harmony. It's not like. But I, I didn't realize that till like uh, I was actually on my way over here listening to Cara. Because you can you can hear like it, it sounds like two people singing. It's a cool effect. That could go both ways. You know, whenever you just double up your vocals, like it does mm-hmm. sound cool, but like mm-hmm. overused. It's. It well, that happens a lot. That happens a lot though. Like and you, you hear it like this song where you don't really notice until like you listen to it like the 30th time. Yeah, and that's production. Like that they did a great job of. Well, but ironically in this song, the reason why you notice it probably is because it's not as tight as it would be like if you listen to it real close to here's Zeppelin do that too. Like, but they they're really looking to like nail it to where it's exactly right and just it's an effect. Whereas with them, you can imagine, like, you know, Mick Jones being like, oh, man, it's cool if it's a little just slightly different. Like, yeah. And it is cool. Yeah, I definitely put this song, uh, I have a short list. It's not a, a, an official list or anything. In the category of songs that I will never change the station on. Like, I will never, like this, Sympathy for the Devil, like, I will never change Sympathy for the Devil. Like, I, I'm never sick of hearing that song, like. The beginning's amazing. The guitar solo's dope. And so this song's in that, like, I, 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 will, I will never turn it if this song's on. Yeah, it's funny how that that whole idea works. Because I would some of my favorite songs, even, like, I would probably not say that about. But mm-hmm. I agree with you on Sympathy for the Devil. I've never thought about this song like that. But after listening to it all week, yeah, I mean, I, I think I do. It, every time I heard it, even the 20th time, I, I, I'm still kind of wanting to move to it. It's like songs like this that you don't hear that often. I think a lot of times they're like the ones that you're not going to change. A, because you don't hear them that much. B, because they're great songs. But see, like, even a song like Johnny Be Good, like, I will never change Johnny Be Good. In fact, if somebody goes to change it, they might get snapped out a little bit. True, but like, how often do you hear Johnny Be Good these days? It's not like a ubiquitous, like, there's some, like, Zeppelin tunes... I wouldn't say anymore because I don't listen to much radio, but like when I used to listen to fucking to classic rock radio all the time when I was in my car, there were certain songs that I just, all right, I don't need to hear this again. Mm-hmm. I love this song, but I've heard it. There's definitely some skittered songs. I'm like, I'm good on, I'm good on Freebird. Like I don't need to hear Freebird. Sweet Home Alabama, I listen to for the beginning is dope. No, the soul, that's, guitar that's songs. That's a skittered song for me. Sweet Home Alabama is not something I ever want to hear again or need to hear again. 
Maybe in a movie, if it works in a scene in a movie, I'm fine with it. But if it's on the radio, Freebird, I can still listen to. I'm always down for that guitar solo. Oh, really? Yeah, and I would, I would even say, talking about The Clash, you know, it's the same when I was listening to London Calling this week. The title track, London Calling, is such a phenomenal song, and, and I, never, he, I never hear it, but I would never turn that song off. Yeah, kind of diving into The Clash as a whole. Like, I didn't even know this song by name when you brought it up last week. And it was, and just finding out, you know, the different guys singing in the band, and just kind of, it, was, it was nice to, like, just kind of be in the Clash world this week and kind of really understand what they were all about. Did you guys listen, do you know that Guns of Brixton song on, I think it's on London Calling? That's a badass thing. That's not my favorite song on London Calling. No, it's not my favorite, but it's a, it's a dope song that you never hear anywhere. It's a really cool song. Yeah, I don't think that was ever going to be a single or probably no. played on any radio. I mean, and that's what, one thing I was, I was going to say, Neil, when you said about the name, when they brought it to America, the American record label changed it to Train of Vain in parentheses, Stand By Me, because yeah. obviously Americans aren't smart enough to understand, <laughs> or they well, need that in their face. Well, you, you need, you, not you, saying I, that about you, buddy, but... Well, I don't think it's that. It's just like, why would you... Neil didn't know what the fuck a song it was. I mean, it's not great marketing to have a title of a song that has nothing to do with the song. So, I mean, I don't think it's about being dumb or nothing. It's just like, make it have something to do with... Like, if they had called Star Wars, I don't know, like, The Last Samurai, it's like, you gotta... It's gotta be... The title has to be relevant. The title has to be relevant. To, and so, if it, if it's not... if it, They never even say it in there. So, it's kind of like... Mm-hmm. Train in Bane is clearly kind of an inside joke. I think that's a good compromise, though, having train with the uh, in the parentheses. It, it kind of sounds like a train, too. I think that, that's kind of what Mick says with that, so he doesn't have to admit that he wrote about Viv. And just the fact that this was released on, you know, what a lot of people, you know, a lot of all-time lists would say, like a top 10, top 15 album of all time, this was the only hit song from it. And it was a hidden track. And it was a hidden track that they added at the last minute. I can't believe Lyndon Collins wasn't a hit song. I don't think I don't even think London Calling was a single. I think Clampdown was a sing, was a single before this from the album, and Brand New Cadillac was the first single from the album. Really? Which, so if you think about it, both of those are way popular than London Calling. No, it says London Calling. Uh, it says this was the B side for it on the so seventh. Talking about the singles that they released for the album. When I read it, Brand New Cadillac was the first, Clampdown was the second, Train of Vain was the third. The first single was London Calling, the second single Clamp Down, and the third, Train in Vain. Uh, which, if, if you listen to the album, those are the three poppiest songs. They're lost in the supermarket, you could argue, and maybe, I mean, I love Jimmy Jazz, but I, that's not really a single. Rudy Can't Fail probably would be another like poppy kind of song from that album. But, but this one, I think, is you know the standout in terms of if you're trying to get a mass audience to listen. It's funny how, like... Well, a lot of folks in England, especially London, I guess, got into that, like, really got into reggae and ska, which you kind of hear on that album a lot. Later on, like, a lot of punk dudes got, like, way into country and stuff. Well, Funny I think, how that I think, happens. I think you could think, you know, rockabilly is kind of your step away from, it's like a country, mm-hmm. and it's like a combo of country and punk. And I think that's always been, you know, I think there's always been a little punk scene of country called rockabilly, right? There's always, there's always been some rebellion in it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But there's always the. I feel like the less swing they have, the more it becomes punk and like less like rockabilly. Well, speaking of country and punk, the it might be a little early to get into covers, but Dwight Yoakam did a cover of the song. It's not. It's not not good. No. I was expecting it to be a really on his album under the covers. Was it actually? It was actually caught on the covers. Yeah, it? yeah. I, I didn't see that. Was album, it really? That's hilarious. Yeah. But it's a really mediocre 
I feel like he could have done a better job. And just just to that genre thing, I think the, one of the best things about the Clash is they. I've never thought of them as punk. They they almost transcend genres. Like they, they definitely have an edge. That's one of the best things about them and why they were once dubbed the only band that matters. If you listen to the first two Clash albums, they're pretty punk, pretty like straightforward. Da, 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 da. And then you can tell they're starting to experiment. And this album, they just kind of break out. Yeah, they're just so much more concerned with the actual musicianship. You know what I mean? Yes. Punk is almost like it is so much more about anger and just like energy. It's weird because like I I just love some of their songs to death. At the same time, I can't say that I love the Clash. Like I really, I really, 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 really like the Clash, but I don't love the Clash the way I love other bands. Like, there's a, to me, there's always a coldness in there. There's always, and it, and it totally works for like who they are and what they're representing. But like, I wouldn't want to be in the Clash. Like, I mean, like I love Radiohead. I would not want to be in Radiohead. I will say I've, di- I've dived into them over the years. Probably first heard them in college. Really, I mean, other than their hits on the radio, but. The, the first two albums, they're like good workout albums, honestly. They're just very like straight ahead punk, real good musicianship, really badass songs. But nothing like stands out of like, oh, this is an awesome song. It's just kind of as the albums. They're, they're not too long. They're really good. This album is just phenomenal. I'm not a huge fan of their next couple where they do kind of get into more reggae and ska type stuff. You know, they have the, uh, what's the MIA song that they took? From? Oh, I think that was on the next album. Straight to Hell. Yeah. And yeah, that's a great, that's a great tune. I, I, I love to find it. Like, I heard that on a jukebox one time. I was like, oh, the Clash put that song? Yeah, so. M.I.A. just, I mean, she did great with it, but that's, that's why that song's so cool. So I, I kind of agree with you there in turn. They're probably not my, they're not one of my favorite bands. This album is one of my favorite albums, though. And actually, when I was saying that they weren't punk, my favorite Clash song is actually very punk. Tommy Gun, do you guys know that Oh, one? Tommy Gun's awesome. So good. Yeah. Um, and I, I found that song, I, I was I was on a plane listening to like the, you just plug your headphones into like the, the yeah. arm thing or whatever, and uh, I fell asleep and woke up to Tommy Gun in my ears. I was like, what is this? This is amazing. I think that might, that's on their, I think that might be on their second album, and that that is a, that is a real good song. Yeah, they're definitely cool. Like I said, ultimately for me, man, like, I always need a little more like blues, a little more swing, a little more like. R&B kind of vibe in there somewhere or or that or just some kind of I don't know like but at the same time they what band could better represent England in the late 70s and 80s I mean they, they, they're just like the epitome of of the, the the economic downturn and difficulties and all that stuff over there and like hell of a band it just always felt they always felt a little like I don't know I just it seems like I mean I guess it's true like like I don't even know if they like liked each other right <laughs> yeah well I, yeah I want to know more about what happened I mean I, well if you have that much attitude you probably don't suffer fools or take much shit from anybody including your bandmates they what fired Mick Jones in like '86 or something maybe yeah it got a little think, messy yeah, I think there. There was, well they really only did like five or six albums they did the first three and then they did I think Combat Rock. And then Sandinista, which is when they get into like the reggae stuff. And then their one after Sandinista, I can't remember the name. I, I do enjoy that one. Their last yeah. one that I've really ever listened to. They have some live releases and stuff like that. I think the last one has what's their what's their other huge single? Neil, you said it earlier. Stay or stay or go. Stay or, yeah, stay or should I stay or should I go? That's basically I would say like that and Train of Vain are basically their two pop songs and Rock Cast by yeah. That's a cool one too. That is yeah, a good it's pretty sweet. I feel embarrassed that I had to like this week. I was like, did they write Rocket Casbah? And like look it up. Like yes, of course they did. 
Yeah, so I mean, they're, they're an interesting band like that. I mean, they, they transcended their genre, made one of the best albums of all time. They have a few pop hits, and their tension in the band pretty much probably broke them up before they could... And whatever, I, I, how many bands really have great albums after the fifth or sixth album anyway? I think I just realized probably what it is with The Clash that is they're probably one of the first bands to be massively successful but not revel in that success. The Stones and Zeppelin had their jets and their models and their scarves and their drugs and shit, yeah. and they were proud of it. I think I would be too, right? But like, they just seem to be, they kind of have that like, ah, oh, it's all fucking bullshit, which I forget yeah, I, that. I would think that they were not on that, they didn't get to that level. Of... They were definitely rock stars, though. There's no doubt they were fucking yeah. rock stars. And even in this song where he says he's got a job and it don't pay, like, you you believe him. You know, he's in a fucking huge band. Right. Like, you right. just see him like needing new clothes and like he ain't got no such mess. <laughs> well, I, I don't know, but again, I don't their first two albums, while great and like super respected, I don't think they were huge rock like this album is the one that catapulted them to rock stars. So I would definitely believe that he was not just some super wealthy punk. No, but I, I'm not saying like you gotta be fucking he, he diddy. I'm just saying like they seem to shy away from like reveling in it, even if it, you know, wherever they were. Whereas like yeah, they were very, very political. Like I mean, and you could, you know, there's documentary. I watched a documentary on them a while back, uh, years ago. You know, they were very serious about like what they stood for and living up to those ideals. And so they were thought like, about very anti-capitalist. I was, but that's what it is. I never thought about it this way. Like they're more in the lineage of Woody Guthrie than of Robert Johnson. Yes, mm -hmm. for sure. And I'm much more of a Robert Johnson dude than a Woody Guthrie dude. Like, so like that makes sense. But like, they're they're much more of that. Use it as a platform to say your thing. Yeah, hammer your message, stand for it, and and don't don't betray your ideals. And they they stuck with that. Oh, oh it's a, it's such a middle class ethos, huh? Like, because poor folks are just want to have fun because they're fucking stressed all the time. Yes. Folks in the middle class want to pontificate on how to change the system. Well, but I think it, we talked about it's also a British thing. Like I'm not from the UK, but like I know at the time that their economy was their economy. So right, right. Probably a lot of people who were middle class <laughs> were falling into that poor class and seeing other people get richer, and then you just get angry. So it's not about like I'm poor. I've always been poor. I'm just gonna have fun because I don't see a way out, or I'm gonna do this. It's more oh shit, I'm losing my wealth. I was here, and now I'm here, and I see all these other people going up well, here. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm losing the wealth. There's something wrong with this system. Exactly. That's you what I'm know? saying, though. Whereas, like, the blues and stuff is the folks who originated that, like, clearly had never had shit because, I mean, they were actively, I mean, fucking su suppressed, of course. I mean, like, and, but that's something I've noticed where it's, like, folks who have, like, manual labor kind of work, when they get done working, they just, they want to, let go of it and have and just try to enjoy themselves and that's yeah. yeah but when you're talking about the blues you're talking about like a, a heavy level of oppression where every bit of their life was controlled they basically had one day to like do anything the bluesmen right you know like on a saturday or sunday at the jew joints and that's like the only day they, they got one day i mean like with the clash i think you're talking about a different level of um so it it's middle class like, Right, it's, yeah, middle, it's like, that's what I'm saying. It's probably lower middle class, I would say. Like, less like about having fun and more about like, I just want to go get drunk and forget mm -hmm. about the week and how it's, I feel right. like I'm getting screwed by the man. Uh, but that, I guess that's the thing is it's not about sex, right? Because nah. blues is always about getting laid at the end of the night somehow. Like, this is, I, I, would, I would say, when I think about this, the blue collar, you think about like 
you know, you hear about like people in England are like not emotional and they're not in with their emotions. So it's just boiling inside. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be hospitable and, and this and that. It's like, all right, now I'm going to, now I'm going to blow up. Yeah. Um, and doing some research, uh, like it made so much sense that they were formed in uh, Camden Town. Oh yeah. I've been there once. Yeah. So, I mean, it almost seems like they helped create the legend that is, it's such a cool part of what is that? Well, I mean, it's I definitely gentrified and like. What's the significance of Camden Town? It's just kind of like a rock and roll kind of London neighborhood, like a, with a big. Oh, is it? Open, what's it called? Camden Lock. It's like yeah. an old. Um, but it's a big open air market, and there's tons oh, of yeah, just yeah, bars. That, that place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't. I was like, what are you talking about? Are you talking yeah. about like that? Yeah, it's just a big market. Mm-hmm. It's like a big market. There's a lot of bars. Music is a couple of music venues you can check yeah. out there. So, so speaking of the punk attitude, what, like, if you were going to listen to this song or the well let's start with this song and then with the clash in general like in what setting would you find yourself like putting this song on i definitely like hearing this song like at a bar like if i'm hanging out with folks and it's just like because in spite of the the downtrodden nature of the song it's 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 uplifting it's fun and and so i love like it because you can you can cut you can dance to it kind of if you want to or you can just like hang out and like bop to it but like it's almost like when a song like this is on you're not going to get bored even if well, you're not even talking to anybody and it also has that kind of refrain chorus which everybody can kind of when you're drunk yeah. and loose and having a good time you can it kinda... is very upbeat for how sad the uh yeah. I, I would say this song i i, I can listen to a song pretty much in like in the car at a bar i, I can listen to a song <laughs> Well, actually, maybe on a road trip, a good road trip song. In a car. In a, in a bar. <laughs> at home or when I'm not at home, basically. <laughs> no, but like, it's a, I think it's a great road trippy kind of song. It's a great song to have on yeah, the drive, yeah, too. Yeah. The Clash in general, and this may be somewhat cliche, especially just because I used to listen to their first two albums when I worked out. Like, that's, it's pretty driving and straightforward. And did, you, did y'all listen to any covers? I know I mentioned Dwight Yoakam earlier. I did. I did. A surprisingly good version from Third Eye Blind. I refuse to listen to that one. Hold on, hold on, which one is Third Eye Blind? What, they, what are their songs? Um, yeah. I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. That's Third Eye Blind. I think I can get with... They have a pretty big following. I saw on YouTube a acoustic version of Rancid doing a song, which makes Oh, yeah. Rancid's cool. Uh, I like Rancid. Yeah, they're, they're really cool. But it was cool just, it's basically like four guys on stage all with acoustic yeah. guitars playing the song. I have a great Rancid story. Okay. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. <laughs> when I was in college, I was watching uh, this David Cronenberg movie, this Super Stone probably with my buddy, watching this David Cronenberg movie. I'm not going to think of the name, but it's Jeremy Irons plays twin gynecologist. What? Really weird. Yeah. He plays two different guys. Yes, yes, they're twins and they're both gynecologists. It's really strange. <laughs> the name of the movie is Dead Ringers. His uh, favorite friend of ours, the guy who did the fly and like his movies. I love his movies, but they're all kind of kind of out there. And he had let his roommate borrow his car that night. So his roommate shows up all wasted. He's like, dude, I wrecked your car. And we're in Austin, the Austin neighborhood of Boston, which is kind of punk. The Austin neighborhood of Boston? <laughs> Well, you, you pronounce it Austin, oh. not Austin like Texas. I just, oh, I was like, my accent. A... It, yeah. So, are um, you wearing Austin? <laughs> so, and that whole like the the music scene there is very rockabilly punk. There's like little music venues and stuff. I, I I had a car, so we drove over to where this guy got into an accident, and basically he had hit the lead singer of Rancid's car. And so I sat in my car with the lead singer Rancid and his manager, who was just this really greasy, like New York dude, like bald with long hair. 
with lots of rings, like huge rings on his fingers, oh, like in lot, like, you know, like the cliche, like a lot of finger hair and stuff, you know? And, and we just sat there for like an hour and a half waiting on the cops to come and take care of the, the stuff. And super nice guy. But it was just a what kind of car thing. was the lead singer of Ransom driving? I, dude, I don't remember. I was I was driving a 97 Pathfinder. <laughs> I didn't ask what you were driving. I'm not going to do with anything. <laughs> Sorry, Neil, I interrupted your... No, uh, fine. Have you guys heard the uh, the Black Crows did it, but I was not a fan of that. Oh, uh, really? I think that one was the right... pretty mediocre. Yeah, it doesn't have the right cadence. Yeah, I listened to Andy Lennox did one as well, which oh, is not God. good. No. So, okay, so this goes back to... And she's a badass, though. I do like no, Andy. No, she's great. No, she's great. And I, I like but the Black like, Rose. Not, I feel like she almost covered everything. Yeah. Every song is like... Eventually oh, no, you're like, right. I have heard that, and I do not like it. It's, <laughs> Hooters, it's Hooters' takeout. They leave all the fuck, They leave <laughs> the most important parts of the song out. It, 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 it's such a good song that, like, if you try to turn it into something else it's not good for that you know what i'm saying like it's it, it, it so is what it is like you know a hammer is a good thing a hammer is not what you throw to somebody if they're drowning it doesn't mean you can you know you, you got it's not you can't change its intended purpose so what we can say is this is basically one of those songs that falls into the category of there is no reason to cover the song they did it perfectly you're not going to do it better and for the most part nobody has done it justice well either. there's no reason to cover this song unless you're prince I found a version of him doing it at like Ting's place in uh, 2014. It's just a, it's kind of at a bar or something. Not a great recording, but it's just cool to hear Prince singing the song. Yeah, I think it's cool, man, because like you know, I've played it, and obviously you know we're gonna play it here in a bit. I, I think you gotta reimagine it. Either you do it like it is, which is dangerous because you can sound like a wedding band if you're not careful. But what you gotta do is you gotta be that person, and then maybe you, you gotta be in that character situation and. You know, then maybe you can change your drum beats and this and that and that and this, but like you can't, you can't distract from what the song's about. And I remember like the Annie Lennox and stuff. Like it was, it was cool, but it's just like why? Like I, you have to be sad and angry to sing a song. Yeah, I just don't understand how you can get such a talented singer. It's oh, yeah. a great it's song. That you can go speak. back to that makes it more impressive. There. The production the, is that the words are sad. The, 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 the lyrics lend themselves to be sad and depressing. But the way the music they put behind it. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's it's upbeat, but yeah, there's so much pain. And just like, like I said, so the, much the pain. way his voice is quivering the whole time, just I do. So yeah, it's so sincere. If folks try to do this song as a song where they're just trying to say the words and hit the notes, and they're not telling you a story, they're not really committing to that narrative. It could be not good. But like, I think that's a lot of people will do covers. They'll just they'll they'll check off all the well, I got the lyrics, I got the notes, I got this. But like you gotta be that person. And if you don't get into there, it's not gonna it's not gonna deliver. Yeah, that's true. And on that note, what what would you recommend for people who like the song? You know, obviously you know, you got the sex pistols and stuff. And then like, you know, man, honestly, I really like Blondie a lot. I think Blondie has a bunch of great music. They have a bunch of great songs. You know, the more eccentric uh, side of things you get into like the talking heads. Um, and that kind of stuff. And then but the more modern bands, like I think there's a direct connection to, to a band like Green Day uh, from The Clash. But also, like, I like Rancid, man, if you want to, like, slant yeah. a little more, like, punk. Just do what they do, you know? Like, they're not. Yeah, they're good songwriters, are They're good songwriters. Yeah, they're good songwriters. Yeah, I don't have any big recommendations. I would just recommend if you haven't heard Tommy Gunn, go listen to Tommy Gunn. Yeah. It's such a cool song. And, and just dive into The Clash. I mean, London Calling, just listen to that. If you don't know the album that this song is on, Go listen to Lennon Calling. It's I mean it's, it's, yeah. 
at least that and now we're going to play this one Said you'd stand by your man. Tell me something I don't understand. You said you love me. That's a fact. Then you left me. Said you felt trapped. Well, some things you can't explain away. My heart aches in me till this day. You didn't stand by me, no, not at all. You didn't stand by me, no way. All the times we were close, I remember those things the most. I see all my dreams come tumbling down I can't be happy without you around So all alone I keep the wolves at bay And my heart aches in me till this day You didn't stand by me, no not at all didn't stand by me no way you must explain why this must be did you lie when you spoke to me Didn't stand by me, no, not at all. Now I got a job, but it don't pay. Need new clothes, need somewhere to stay. But without all of these things I can do, without your love, I won't make it through. You don't understand my point of view I suppose there's nothing I can do You didn't stand by me No, not at all You didn't stand by me No way No way Must explain why this must be. Did you lie when you spoke to me? You didn't stand by me, no, not at all.
Yeah, so that's going to do it for this episode. I think next week is Neil. What's uh, What are we going to talk about? I think we're going to dive into Rebellion Lies, Arcade Fire. Rebellion Lies, Arcade Fire. Can't wait! <laughs> <laughs>